what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. For organizations looking to enhance their customer relationships, this is Stepping Up Service. Hello and welcome to Stepping Up Service. I am Alan Jackson with the Jackson Group and with me as always, Ed Gagnon with Customer Service Solutions. Ed, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Alan. How are you today? Doing fine. Ed is joining us through the uh, wild and woolly world of Skype. So uh, we are in different locations. Hopefully this will go nice and smooth, Ed. Uh, and uh, hopefully there won't be any technical issues we'll have to overcome here. But just want to make everybody aware, Ed is on Skype, so he may sound a, a little different than he normally does. But uh, we're still happy, glad to have you as part of the show, Ed. Okay, thanks. Well, sure. The topic for today is one I'm, I'm interested in hearing you discuss, and I've got a lot of questions about and that is the idea of mystery shopping or uh, customer uh, secret customer shopping, a lot of different names and terms for it. But it really is the idea of, you know, I guess I'll let you explain it a little bit better than I probably can. But the idea of going into an organization and shopping uh, as somebody in secret, somebody in disguise for an organization to see how well they handle customer interactions. And, of course, with this series of stepping up service, and we're talking about customer service and some of the trends that are happening in the marketplace and some different uh, ideas and ways to improve your own customer service, mystery shopping seems like a nice fit for many organizations. Now, the question I've got for you, Ed, is that we know that secret shopping or mystery shopping has been around for quite a while. But when I think of it personally... I think of it as something where somebody goes into a department store. I'm thinking in a very traditional setting. A sure. department store, they're dressed up, and they're just going to go in and see how they're treated as a customer. I would assume that that's uh, just a very narrow view of it, and maybe you can enlighten me of uh, where mystery shopping is compared to where it's been in the past. Uh, well, uh, that is a very typical view, and it is uh, a very pervasive uh, reality as well. I mean, a lot of the mystery shopping, particularly when it started decades and decades ago, was retail-oriented. It was okay. people physically going on-site into a retailer and and uh, trying to gauge whether the employees were asking the right questions. Were they, uh, were they making the right offers or not? Were, were the items displayed appropriately or not? And, and so that's typically um, what mystery shopping was very retail, very on-site oriented. Uh, you had a lot of grocery stores who were jumping on the uh, mystery shopping bandwagon and, and, uh, even a lot of banks, uh, jumping on it. But that's, that's kind of the, uh, inception of mystery shopping and, and the different types and industries that there were, but it's really blossomed since then. It, it's in all sorts of different industries. I know, uh, more, uh, governmental organizations like local municipalities, like uh, educational organizations do mystery shopping now. Oh, wow. uh, so that's, it's that's gone beyond the private sector, that's for sure. Um, and it's definitely gone beyond the uh, on-site uh, shops as well. You can just think about how you can communicate with any kind of company nowadays uh, via email, via the web, via the telephone. Uh, it, there are so many different uh, permutations and ways you can mystery shop now just because the technology is different and how customers engage companies is different than it used to be. So so my, my, my traditional thinking of it being more for the retail space, that really was the traditional way that, that mystery shopping was typically thought of. But what you're saying is mystery shopping is something that can really apply to just, just about any industry, 
that has direct customer service experience. Right. I, just, I never would have thought of government or education as something that could make use of a mystery shopping experience. Yeah, and that that's uh, a an impression a lot of people have, um, and it's because when they think of mystery shopping, that they're thinking about those situations that they're familiar with where they have uh, some history. They were a checkout clerk and somebody mystery shopped them and they got a report, which was a checklist of 15 items. And did they do these things or not? And that's what they got evaluated on. But if we think a little bit more broadly about what mystery shopping is, it's a research tool. And if you think about research, you're trying to gain information from your customer's perspective on things. Uh, You know, obviously there are focus groups. That's one way to do it. Obviously, you can do customer satisfaction surveys, and mystery shopping is just another uh, method of research. And the the key with mystery shopping is when you're actually sending in somebody as a shopper or as a customer of a business, uh, you are sending them in to give you uh, a very, very detailed impression of what happened during that encounter with the business. You're looking to get real-time data on exactly what happens. Somebody drives to an establishment Uh, Does the signage help them to get to where they need to be? Uh, When they're uh, trying to find a parking parking space, how easy is it to navigate the parking and find a space? When they're trying to find a location, uh, how can they navigate and is the signage helpful in getting them where they need to be? And then when they get into the facility, uh, how helpful are the people? How knowledgeable are the people? What are the service processes like? So if you think about mystery shopping as being a method of research to see through the customer's eyes, what the experience is really like, then all of a sudden you start to realize, well, well, wouldn't a government organization want to know how easy it is to find a park facility? And wouldn't uh, a tax department want to know um, what the process is like and the timeliness is like for getting questions on taxes answered and getting those property taxes paid or those vehicle taxes paid? And you start to see that anybody who's really concerned with the customer's experience uh, would want to consider mystery shopping. Now, Am, am I right in saying that employees of an organization that where an organization decides they're going to start a, pl- a program of mystery shopping, bring in an outside firm or bring in a group that can do the mystery shopping uh, at their place of business, do the employees of that organization typically know that mystery shopping is going to be going on at some point? Or is that normally kept as a kind of a secret and you don't want anybody to even think that there may be mystery shopping going on? Yeah, we, we've seen it both ways. Um, you know, we've seen it where organizations wanted to create a baseline of what is the current performance uh, without any biases coming into play or uh, any kind of a Hawthorne effect where the, the, um, the environment's been changed because the employees know that they're being shopped and therefore they start behaving differently. So we've seen some companies who do not want their employees to know. So they get a baseline of performance and then measure them over time to see if the performance is improving or not. Um, with, with most of our clients, I'd say maybe two-thirds, three-quarters of the projects we do, they do let the uh, employees know at some point they're going to be mystery shop. It's really kind of funny. We, we were working with an educational client. This is probably about a year and a half ago now. And we did a lot of planning on the project in the fall, uh, September, October time frame. But we weren't going to launch the shops until the start of February. Well, the organization communicated out that there was going to be mystery shopping done, what was going to be included. They communicated that out in the fall. And our contact uh, at at this client told us that time and time again, they would get called by employees and said, hey, I got mystery shop today. And and, because this person was asking these questions, it was kind of crazy. Well, they thought they were being mystery shopped, uh, but it wasn't February 1st yet. 
So it was just normal customers coming in with odd kinds of questions or uh, maybe uh, very unusual types of circumstances, and the employees assumed they were being shopped. Uh-huh. So okay. The reality is they, they weren't being shopped, but there was a nice halo effect because all of a sudden the customers uh, were getting better service because the employees were thinking that, hey, I'm getting shopped, I'm getting evaluated, I need to deliver uh, to deliver a higher level of service. So sometimes it's actually beneficial to let the employees know because they start applying, uh, in a lot of cases, a higher level of service to everybody because they're assuming some of these folks are evaluating them. So in other words, what you're telling us is a really cheap way to do it is just announce to your staff that we're going to do mystery shopping but not actually do it. Yeah, that, that's the <laughs> cheapest way to do it. Maybe not the most ethical way to do no, it. No, not hey, the most ethical <laughs> and doesn't really give you any good data. But if you at least want to see a, maybe a slight increase in your customer service experience for a little while, yep. uh, maybe that's the way to do it. <laughs> so yep. interesting. Yep. Now, we've been talking a lot during the show in the various episodes about you know customer service and the way it's changed over the years where, yes, it still is person-to-person experiences for the most part that people are relying on, but there is that online element. There's email communications. There's um, website interactions. There's, there's, there's situations where somebody is experiencing having some sort of customer service experience with a company where they may actually not ever speak to a human being directly, right. or it may just be more of a process they have to go through online. Does mystery shopping apply there because – I can't imagine somebody's having to put on a costume or a disguise and go pretend to be a, a customer somewhere at a physical location. How does that work in more of a online uh, uh, automated system type process? Yeah, well, that's that's a great question. That's one of the main evolutions of mystery shopping. Is in the past you had a mystery shopper who might be a uh, trained mystery shopper. It might be a consultant with a mystery shopping firm, um, but they would be given a certain scenario. I want you to go in and ask for this product, or I want you to go in with an issue on this particular topic, uh, and then I want you to fill out this checklist of 10 to 15 items and see what um, the level of service you get, see if they're doing the things that they're supposed to be doing as employees. What you're seeing now with email, with the web, for example, is you still have the same scenarios, but you're Finding the email address uh, on the website or you're using live chat or you're uh, going to some uh, other sort of uh, telephone or other sort of um, method of getting your service need met and you're introducing the same scenario, you're asking the same question, but you're just using a different method uh, of communicating that, that need or that issue to the company. So what it's done is a couple things. One is... Uh, it has allowed mystery shopping to expand so that you can truly get an evaluation of your web presence. For example, we have a, uh, a client that has built um, a new – they built a new website. They were very happy about it, but they wanted mystery shopped. I mean they, they had all these technical people who were very proud of what they had done, uh, and they felt very good about it. But they wanted to see through the customer's eyes what it was really like to navigate mm-hmm. their website. So we went in and we did a – mystery shop of their website and I won't go into a tremendous amount of detail but they had some legacy systems that based on what you clicked on on the website you went to these alternative uh, systems within the web that even though you were still with the same organization the site looked totally different how you navigated a page was totally different Uh, the terminology was totally different and so we ended up identifying a lot of issues that they had with consistency of the site navigation issues Um, There was one situation where we had a certain scenario we had given a shopper, and it literally took 35 clicks to get there. 
and we wow, and we told them you click on this item, uh, this happens. Then when you click from that page, this is what happens. So, uh, in having these new methods of communication, like you're talking about email, uh, web example, it's something you history shop. The tools are a little different, but you're still providing scenarios. You still have certain expectations about responsiveness and the quality of the information, and you still want to be able to navigate that website just like in the past we talked about navigating uh, a storefront at a retail center. Wow, that's interesting. So a website, uh, that was really interesting, the example about you know the number of clicks it takes to get something done or interfacing with different systems. So the idea of mystery shopping, somebody could be brought in, a company brought in to do mystery shopping on a website where they really are to just, from a fresh approach, go through and interact with that website like they would be if they were a real customer and making all the yes. notes and notation and research on what their experience is like. And you're giving that feedback back to that organization just like if it was a department store or a you know, fast food restaurant or anything else. Right. And the reason why that's so beneficial is usually the people who design the website or they're implementing some new website, they think, okay, the user, when they come to this page and, and they need information on this certain uh, class offering or they need information on this certain product offering or they need information on this certain uh, you know, facility that they want to reserve or something like this, they're going to they're, they're going to go to the search function and then they're going to key in this particular phrase and then it'll bring them straight to this page and then they test it and it works exactly as designed. That's wonderful from the client's perspective. But when you bring in an actual customer, an actual shopper, they go to that website and they decide, well, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look at these menus and this kind of looks right and I'm going to click on that. And I come to this menu and, well, may, maybe this. This click looks right, and I'll click there. No, that's wrong. So I hit the backspace, and, and all of a sudden I get an error because I'm hitting a backspace. And so if, if the customer knew exactly how you designed the site for them to use, then they would never run into an issue. But the reason why you mystery shop is that every customer is a little bit different, and a lot of the customers, the way they navigate a facility, navigate a website, the way they think uh, is different than the, the folks who are developing that, that application or, or that website or – uh, that phone system or, or that uh, retail shop, and therefore you want to understand through the customer's eyes what is the experience like, and, and are we really um, designing this to meet the needs of those customers? Well, and I think it's pretty safe to say, too, that in a lot of organizations, when you've got those multiple departments working on a project, you know, I know, for example, here at our office, we've got our client relations team that works directly with clients and customers, and they're the ones on the phone and in person meeting with them. But then we have our IT department that doesn't have as much exposure to the client. They're building systems and websites and things for us. Uh, sometimes there's a disconnect in that the IT team will build something really, really cool that works great. But you got to have that client feedback to know, is this really what a typical customer or client would use? Would they interact with it the way that we think they would interact with it? So it sounds like the mystery shopping on a website or a web system does that exact same thing for us. It tells us where there may be a disconnect between what we're designing and developing and what the end user is expecting to have happen or typical scenarios they may go through when interacting with our sites. Exactly. Because in the end, you're building the website to make it, in theory, easy on your customer to get their need met, to get their question answered, to get their issue resolved. You're building your storefront to drive traffic to certain merchandise, to to help create sales to to make it easy to get again the questions needed or the issues resolved uh you're looking for responsiveness and timeliness in the the email mystery shops and and so if you're designing it for those reasons 
uh, you want to test the uh, whether or not the, those um, goals are being realized. Oh, very interesting. Well, we're going to take a quick break uh, just for a moment, and when we come back, I want to talk a little bit about uh, the actual what the job of the shopper is in a mystery shopper situation. Uh, what kind of uh, what they end up doing during their experiences and during their research. What kind of information you typically get back, and we'll also talk a little bit about some of the things to keep in mind with mystery shopping and uh, how it can be used for positive just as well as for uh, punitive type measures. But real quick, before we do, uh, before we get to a break here, just want to go ahead and announce our code for this episode for the iPad giveaway that we're running at the Mesh this quarter. And that code is the word mystery, M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y, mystery 0000. So that's it, mysteries with four zeros, mystery 0000. Enter that on our website at the contest tab and along with your email address, and that counts as another entry in the sweepstakes for the iPad. We'll be back in just a moment. We'll get back to your show in a moment. Just a reminder, you're listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Find out more at themesh.tv and give us feedback on what you like. And now, as promised, back to your show. Hi, this is Alan with the quick announcement about something really exciting going on here at The Mesh over the next couple of months. The Mesh is celebrating its first six months of operation by giving one of its listeners an iPad 2. And the more you listen to The Mesh, the more chances you have to win. Here's what you do. Listen to any episode for any of the shows that we have on our Mesh network that we post between January 1st, 2012 and March 31st, 2012. At some point during those episodes, and that includes the one you're listening to, you will be given a code for the contest. Write the code down, visit the Mesh's website at themesh.tv, and you'll be given instructions on where to enter your code and an email address. You can enter one code per episode with your email address. So if we post 100 episodes between January and March of this year, and you listen to all 100 of them and get 100 codes, that means you'll have 100 entries into our contest, 100 chances to win that iPad. Uh, There'll be other information on the Mesh's website about this contest, other rules, regulations, some other uh, legal jargon we got to put in there. That's all on the website at themesh.tv backslash contest. That's where you can enter your codes, and you can also read a little bit more about the contest itself. We really are excited about this contest. We're excited about giving one of our listeners a great prize. And we just want to thank everybody for an incredible first six months of The Mesh. We look forward to providing you with outstanding content for many, many more months to come. Thanks. Okay, we're back with Stepping Up Service and uh, Alan Jackson with The Jackson Group, joined by Ed Gagnon with Customer Service Solutions over Skype. Uh, Ed, remind me real quick before we jump back into our conversation where the website is people can find out more about customer service solutions and what you guys do. Oh, sure. It's uh, CSS America, like Customer Service Solutions America.com. Okay, CSS America.com is where they can learn a little bit more about you, the kind of work you do with customer service solutions, and then the, in the entire customer service arena there. Yes. Right. Okay. Well, getting back to the idea of mystery shopping, we've already talked a little bit about what it is and, and how it's kind of evolved over the years and some of the new applications for it. I, I'm personally just really curious what somebody who is a mystery shopper, what kind of level of detail and, and, and information can we really expect to get from that kind of process? 
because I can imagine somebody walking into a store, they walk into a place of business, and they are uh, interacting with the staff, they're interacting with the systems. What is it they do? And this is more just a curiosity for me. What do they do to, is it logging of data and information? Are they recording wait times and the demeanor of people? Or, or is it a kind of a combination of all of the above? What, what kind of data are they gathering during that ex- experience? Yeah, it, it can vary. Um, I'll, I'll tell you what some organizations do. You'll, you'll find this a lot in grocery stores where it's literally, like I was mentioning earlier, the, the old-timey mystery shop was. They still do today. Here are 10 or 12 points. Did the employee do this, yes or no? You know, what time were you there in the store? What day were you there in the store? And, and uh, you know, very objective criteria, very short evaluation, trying to gauge uh, customers uh, or having customers gauge employee adherence to certain standards or certain statements or certain activities, things along those lines. Um, that, that's pretty much a very narrow view uh, of what takes place. And probably you, you get those more narrow views, those types of documentation uh, when you're dealing with shoppers who maybe they do a lot of shops, but they're basically doing the shop to get uh, free food or a free meal or a discount or a coupon or something like that. I mean, there's some shoppers uh, and many of the mystery shops are like this where it's literally uh, the uh, vendor uh, is working with the client. So let's say I'm a vendor and I'm working with a restaurant uh, to provide a mystery shopping service and the restaurant will give me a coupon. And, and so basically my mystery shopper will get a free meal out of it. So there's not a real high expectation for a lot of analytical work and and a lot of evaluation. When we do mystery shops, it's different. It's much higher level. Um, we bring in people and train them uh, to do an evaluation that has some uh, very subjective evaluation, some very objective evaluations. And you can pretty much break uh, what they're evaluating into three categories. One is the the attitude, skills, knowledge of the employee. So we have a a series of different questions and criteria that the shopper will evaluate about uh, how did this person come across with their body language or their tone of voice on the telephone and and what was the eye contact like and uh, were they knowledgeable did they give you the question uh, the answer to the question that you needed Uh, if it was an issue that we were presenting were they good at diffusing the upset customer so we had a lot uh, we have a lot of uh, criteria that are evaluated by the mystery shopper that relates to employee attitude the second is process is it easy to to um, get its activity or request or, or order fulfilled? What's the timeliness of it? What are the steps involved? Does the employee do things for you or do they force the customer to, to go from station to station to get their need met? So we have several different areas of evaluation relating to process, looking at timeliness, streamlined or not, complexity of the process, redundancy of different activities and information being requested, that sort of thing. And the third uh, is facility layout and signage. Uh, If you remember, I was talking earlier about navigation. So essentially what we're talking about here is uh, if somebody is coming to your storefront or they're going to your website, can they easily navigate the website or the storefront or your office building and figure out where they need to go, how to get there? Is the signage something that makes it easy uh, on the customer to to get to where they need to get to? Um, What's the look and aesthetics and the feel of the facility as well? Um, and one of our goals with organizations is you want to make the the facility or the website so self-evident s- such that a, a first-time customer can have the same great experience as a long-term customer. 
I mean, you think about all the stores you go to, the restaurants you go to, the the the, the public spaces and parks and and facilities you go to. We even mystery shop uh, pro basketball games. We've done many of those over the years. You think about the sporting events you go to. And think about if you go with somebody who's been there many times and how easy it is to flow to where you, where you need to go to the first time. And then think about situations where you go in there for the first time and you're confused about where to go and, and how do I find the best restaurant or you know, how do I find uh, where to get uh, my tickets or, or how do I find the easiest way to get to my seats if you're talking about a sports arena or how do I find the right product if you're talking about a storefront or how do I get my question answered uh, if I'm going to a website, and it's much more confusing typically for a first-time customer. So in mystery shopping, we try to stage it so that the facility layout and signage is evaluated as well, and hopefully it's so simple, it's so self-evident that it is so easy for that for the mystery shopper to find what they need to find. So really the mystery shopper goes in with, with kind of a, an objective already in mind, uh, whether it be to find my seat at a sporting event or if they're going into a hospital, it's to find my way to the laboratory. And then the goal is that they walk into the building and they really try to like get to that objective and make a note of everything they encounter along the way that's going to throw them off track or confuse them or anything like that, right? Sure, that, that's exactly right. And one, one way to kind of give a little bit of a variation to what you said there, if it is somebody in a healthcare setting, maybe they're going to go in for a lab test. Um, but when they go in for the lab test, they're evaluating navigation to the facility, navigation to getting into the building. And then when they're in the building, they're talking about the steps involved to provide information, where they get uh, positioned in the waiting room, how they navigate that process. So they're not necessarily going in um, with the scenario that I want to figure out how to get to, to this room or get to this seat. They're going in to typically get a question answered or a need met or to buy a product or service. But as a part of that ultimate goal, they're evaluating the facility layout and signage just like they're evaluating the employee attitudes and the process. Wow, interesting. Now, let me, let me ask a little bit about the employee attitudes and, and, and that first point you mentioned about just uh, you know, looking at body language, looking at their customer service approach to the customer. I can imagine that most people use the data from a mystery shopping experience to try to find problems to try to find what goes wrong. And in that situation, I would imagine, too, that employees of an organization that go through a mystery shopping process is probably a, ner- a little nerve rattling for them because most organizations are probably conducting mystery shopping to find problems, to find something that's negative that they need to fix. Um, are mystery shopping processes ever used for positive, to recognize positive things and be seen as a, a, a positive motivator for employees? Yeah, they, they definitely should be. And, and when we do mystery shopping, that's one of the things we convey. Just like when you do a survey, you want to find out where you're getting a rating of 6.5 on a 7-point scale, but where you're getting that 4.2 rating, uh, you know, that that's an issue to address. Well, it's the same thing with mystery shopping. You're not just trying to figure out where do we need to improve and where are there issues, but uh, it's also a wonderful uh, resource for you if you want to recognize staff or you want to see whether or not you've improved certain processes and those processes have been realized, those benefits have been realized by the customer as well. So uh, a lot of employees are wary of getting mystery shopped because you are getting evaluated. And how many of us like to sit down for annual evaluations? You know, your boss says you're going to get evaluated tomorrow and you go, oh boy, great. I'm excited about being evaluated. I want uh, somebody to tell me everything I've done wrong. And, you know, people don't really uh, generally react like that. But 
if it's positioned correctly, then uh, the employees are realizing, well, we're looking for an opportunity to improve the organization. Um, there, there's going to be some recognition and some pats on the back when things go well. Now, the, the issue comes in where even if we identify best practices, we identify specific examples of things that are great during mystery shops, uh, the, the question is, does the organization use the data appropriately? Right. Um, in other words, we don't think uh, that mystery shopping is typically a, a, a research mechanism that you use if you want to have statistically significant data. In other words, you wanted to say without certainty that employee X uh, does this every time they're with a customer. Because typically, if you're mystery shopping a, a certain department uh, 10 times on site, you might be only dealing with the same um, employee twice. Mm-hmm. So you have to realize that I can't make broad assumptions about this one employee based on two encounters. True. You know, if something's egregious or exceptionally good, I mean, maybe there's something there. But if there's two kind of negative encounters or two kind of positive encounters, you can't make broad assumptions about the employee. So typically mystery shopping is done to make broad assumptions about the organization and its processes and its facility and generally, you know, the, the uh, knowledge and skills of the employees as a whole. But, but organizations who understand how to use mystery shopping data, they don't take just one or two or three encounters with one employee as gospel that this is truly what that employee is like every time they're with a customer. Well, and plus, I, I guess you got to factor in some, such things as uh, different shifts of work at an organization or at a company, uh, different times of the year, sales going on in a retail environment versus not. Exactly. So there's, there's a lot of detail. I would assume you can't just drop somebody in, have them go in one time, come back and say, okay, here's what's wrong with your organization. It's, it's right. probably a much more detailed process than that. Right. But just to give you one example, we uh, did mystery shops for an organization last year, uh, and we did on-site, we did telephone, we did email mystery shops. And in our email mystery shops, we conducted about 70 email mystery shops of about 30 different locations. And we could look at those locations and say, well, you know, this particular location did not respond to either one of the two emails. Uh, And so, you know, they're awful, they're terrible, they... They um, you know, never respond to any emails. We can't make that assumption. But if you looked at all the 70 mystery shops, we got responses on our inquiries from fewer than 50% of the, the messages that we sent out. Okay. So whereas you can't say definitively, yes, these locations that didn't respond to any of the emails are terrible and the ones that responded to both are great. But you can say overall is the organization has a big issue. Overall, if they have 70 emails going out and there are 25 to 30 responses coming back and those responses are not very timely and those responses typically don't answer the question, they just uh, direct the person elsewhere, um, then, you know, organizationally they have a major issue and that's something they need to address more broadly. So you can draw major conclusions about the organization uh, even if you're only shopping individual entities or individual people once or twice when you aggregate those you can really see what the experience is and isn't like, um, you know, from the customer's perspective. Okay, Ed, let me let me throw a scenario your way, and I'm curious because I'm, I'm trying to under, get a better understanding of how mystery shopping could even work in a business like mine. You know, okay. here at the Jackson Group, we, we conduct uh, employee and customer satisfaction surveys for a lot of places. Um, what will happen is if we get a phone call in or an email coming in to, an orga- to our company saying, hey, I'm interested – in this particular service, which is something I would assume in a mystery shopping environment, that's what they would try to mimic. Exactly. They want to know how 
the response is, okay, but here's the challenge. And I'm just, I'm more curious how we overcome this challenge. I know that my business development team, the minute we get a call in from somebody or an email saying that they're interested in a service, we're doing a little research to find out what that company is. And so when we respond to them, we know what we're talking about. So how in a smaller service-based firm where it's more business to business, how does a mystery shopper go about trying to get a true understanding of what that organization's like if that organization may be a little on the savvy side doing research trying to understand who's calling in and, and what they're, uh, what organizations they're with? Uh, well, that, that's a great question. And the idea of mystery shopping is that the shopper, their identity is truly a mystery. So it, you're talking about, well, before you call that person back, you'll do some research on the company. Well, that's not going to be possible in a mystery shopping scenario because we're not going to tell you who we are. So in other words, um, so, it's almost like we're, we are looking for information, but we don't want to reveal what organization we're with at this time. Yeah, and, and we wouldn't even go that far. It, it would be, let's say, for example, an email. And we send an email, and it might be from a Gmail account. So okay. it's not coming from CSS America. I see. And it's coming from Fred123 at Gmail. And you say, uh, you know, dear Jackson Group, uh, you know, I was taking a look at your website. I understand you do um, uh, employee climate surveys, and, and you, you do a ton of this in healthcare. You do it outside of healthcare. I actually work in the admissions office at a, a community college. Can you tell me a little bit about what you do? Okay. Uh, and at that point, uh, you should be able to respond back to me in a certain amount of time. You probably have a certain expectation in terms of what your business development folks are going to say in an email, what kind of questions they're going to ask, and what kind of information that they're going to convey before they get all the details. Okay. And that's one of those things that we really, uh, uh, really focus on in mystery shopping is the people who do best – in mystery shops, the employees who are the best, whether it's an email or a telephone or face-to-face, are invariably those people who are inquisitive. They ask a lot of questions. And this is a perfect example. The mystery shopper is not going to give you all their details, and we never want the mystery shopper to give you all the details because part of being a good employee is being able to identify and ask the right questions so you can get the right information and meet the need right the first time. So that's how we handle that situation. We okay. wouldn't give you too much detail. We'd give you the scenario, give you enough and hope you respond back in a timely manner with an appropriate email tone, for example. Give us a little bit of information and ask enough questions uh, to, to really drive uh, a next step. Okay, great. That makes sense. Yeah. I can see that. Well, I think I'm covered with my questions I had about mystery shopping. Is there anything else that you think for anybody, an organization out there that may be considering using mystery shopping at their company, whether it's a small firm, an online firm, or a large uh, large retail or or a walk-in traffic type environment. Is there anything important that people need to keep in mind before they try to engage any kind of mystery shopping experience? Yeah, there's two other things to discuss. One is, I know we talked about the evolution from the typical retail storefront on-site experience and where it's become more email on-site oriented. Uh, When you have email, you have on-site, you have telephone, uh, you have... um, uh, all these sorts of methods of, of communicating with folks. One thing you need to look for in mystery shopping is to not just mystery shop one of those channels, but to mystery shop the exact same scenario on multiple channels and look for consistency. So with your okay, example, yeah. Alan, we might actually have somebody call up Jackson Group with uh, that question I just gave. We might have somebody send an email uh, directly to, to one or two of your business development folks and Uh, or multiple, and then we might have somebody to go to your website and submit through a contact form. And what we're going to do is we're going to attack this particular scenario using multiple channels, and we're not only trying to gauge um, uh, 
uh, how each one does individually, but we're trying to compare them against each other. Are we getting the same kind of responsiveness and timeliness? Are we same kind of answer. We're getting the same kind of tone, the same kind of inquisitiveness because a lot of times organizations are very good via email but they're not good on the on-site visit or they're good right. if somebody's face-to-face but they're horrible on the telephone and, and what we're looking for is organizational consistency. So that's one thing to keep in mind when you're actually uh, thinking about doing a mystery shop. Are you doing it just to see how the customer feels when they come on site or they go to the website or do you want to make sure that your brand is consistent across all your different communication channels with customers. All right, good point, good point. The second thing to think about is your competitor. I mean, I know a lot of people think, well, mystery shopping, um, I I like to do it because it really gives me all this detailed information about what happened on this customer encounter. Or some people say, you know, I, I don't like to do it because my employees aren't comfortable with it. Well, the other reason why you would do mystery shopping, other than looking at yourself, is to look at how you're positioned in relation to competitors. And you can literally mystery shop yourself via the phone, via on-site, via the web. Go, go about a process of doing the same thing with your competitors and see where they are just far better than you, where you're on par with them, or where you're far better than they are. Because keep in mind that, that you're focused on your internal operations. You're focused on what happens day-to-day in your business. Um, and you're, you're thinking about that. But from the customer's perspective, when they're thinking about their experience – they're comparing the H.H. Gregg to the Best Buy. They're comparing the Chick-fil-A to the McDonald's. They're comparing uh, this consulting firm to that. So why not mystery shop your competitors and try to get a sense uh, through the customer's eyes where you're stronger than them uh, and vice versa? It really helps you to understand from an experience standpoint uh, what the reality is. Am I very competitive? Uh, what are my strengths? And what do I need to improve upon? Oh, I like I like that idea. Actually, that's uh, something I hadn't thought of. But you know, you do find yourself and you, you try to compare yourself against your competitors based on what you see their marketing messages or anything like that, or maybe what you hear from people who used to be clients of theirs. Sure. But uh, you're right to get the most valid comparison of really where your experience stacks up. You know, go apply the same practice at, a, at another organization or one of your competitors and see how you match up. That's that's exactly. interesting. Very neat. Great. Well, I think we've covered mystery shopping pretty well. I think we've used our time here on the episode pretty well. Uh, So I I appreciate all the feedback and and ideas on that. It sounds like something that I honestly don't know how many companies do this practice. It it sounds like it needs to be as many as possible just because of the the value and the data you can get from it. But I know that's something that I think a lot of people think of in a very traditional sense. And they need to keep in mind that it can be just as applicable to a more new media online presence as well. Well, Ed, I know we always like to kind of close out the show with going through our customer service uh, stories or examples. Uh, if you'd like to go first, though, that, that would be fine. Okay. Uh, mine's a negative one. I don't know if yours is a negative or positive. But uh, mine actually just happened this week, so I like to keep it pretty fresh here in my mind. Um, I am going to be flying to Thailand in May. I'm very excited really? about the trip. Yeah, yeah. I'm going. I'm a member of Rotary, and I'm going to the Rotary International Conference in May. And that's going to be happening in Bangkok. So I've never been to Thailand. My wife and I are very excited about going together and, and taking a couple extra days while we're there. So, of course, but the whole, the whole idea of international travel and trying to arrange that is a little daunting. Um, so, of course, I'm, I'm making my plane reservations the other day. And uh, crazy tra- play, plane schedule. We're going to be flying for, I think, about 27 hours, all told, uh, each way. Uh, so my wife is terribly looking forward to that, by the way. Uh, but in making these arrangements, 
All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for this, this flight. The whole flight's coming up to be round trip about $3,500. It's a pretty you know, pricey wow. trip, but you would expect it to be for going you know, halfway around the world uh, and doing the round trip for two people. So with that, I'm making the purchase. I'm going online. I'm arranging everything. I've got it exactly the way I want it to. Place the order. I've already checked, you know, plenty of money in the account. I'm, I'm going to do a debit card account from my checking account just so it goes right into there, taken care of, ready to go. Make the confirmation done. I get the confirmation online that, yes, you, you, it's everything set. You're ready to go. Well, about 10 minutes later, I get an email saying your purchase didn't go through. Your credit card was declined. Now, first off, I'm not using a credit card. Okay, I'm using a debit <laughs> card, but I can understand it's, you know, got the visa stamp on it. It's a number. I can understand that's how their system is going to respond. But it didn't tell me anything more than that. Just said it was declined and didn't give me any instructions on what I need to do next. So my question is, okay, do I still have those two seats reserved? Am I still on that flight and I just need to call them back and reprocess it or what? So I end up having to call the 800 number on the airline and I get passed around several times and finally get told that, oh, all I need to do is I need to call the bank and find out why it was declined so they can just reprocess it. I say, okay, so I at least know that, yes, my seats are still kind of technically being held. I have a reservation. It's just not paid for yet. Mm-hmm. So now I'm going to call the bank. And, of course, I'm questioning myself, why was it declined in the first place? Because I can hop online, look at my balance, and I've got plenty of money in there to handle that. So that's a question in my mind already again. So now I'm calling the bank, and the bank's passing me around a little bit, trying to help me understand what might have happened. And they can't answer any questions until finally somebody calls me back and says, okay, well, it turns out there's a $1,000 a day limit on your debit card that we have in place. So make sure it doesn't get unauthorized usage or anything like that. So I come away having to go back to the, 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 the plane, uh, the airline, and tell them the situation. They say, well, we need the bank to authorize that we can make this charge for this amount. I'm going to go back to the bank and tell them what the situation is, and they've got to authorize the amount. And all in all, the whole experience is telling me that, okay, I understand why the bank has this policy in place for having such a limit on how much can be used on a debit card, but I wasn't aware of that, and there was no feedback to me during this entire process to know what might have transpired and how can I fix it. And then secondly, on the airline side, there again, when I get the message that the plane, uh, the reservations declined uh, because of, for some reason, I'm not given any instructions on what is my next step, what are my recourses, what do I need to do? So I end up making about eight or nine phone calls total. This is during my lunch hour today. Oh, so gee. there again, I'm just kind of frazzled by the whole thing. I'm spending a lot of money on a very uh, sensitive subject about you know, international travel, and I don't feel like I'm getting the guidance I need really on either side. So I don't know the answer to this for anybody involved because there's multiple pieces floating around, but it's just that idea of you know if something goes wrong in a tra- customer service transaction, I need to know some instructions on what to do to resolve it. I need to understand what are my recourse actions, how do I need to proceed and there was never any guidance from really either side on what I need to do to make that happen. So it's kind of a, kind of a, a big mess there, and, and, and it fell apart on several sides. And I guess I could argue, too, that it kind of fell down on my side because I obviously was not aware that I could not make a debit card purchase that big in one day. But all told, that's something I probably needed that knowledge about any kind of systems that could have been built in to give people more feedback on why something didn't go as expected. Mm-hmm. And a simple instruction list on here's what you do to resolve it would have been greatly appreciated on both sides. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, customers, you know, they, they can get uh, dissatisfied if they don't know what to expect. You know, if you don't educate them up front, tell them up front what they need. Uh, you know, if there's an issue, explain what the process is. That, that can drive a lot of complaints, a lot of dissatisfaction. Sure. And that's something that companies have control of. Well, and uh, just, I mean, you know, there again, I can understand that the, the airline said, well, we can't really tell you what's going on with your bank. And I get that. I totally understand that. But their gap right there was... I don't know if my reservation is still in place. What do I do if I can get this resolved? Do I have to go and re-reserve the entire tickets again? Is there a place I can call to get them to try to charge it again? There was no instructions. So that mm-hmm. was the frustrating point when, you know, you already spent 20 minutes online trying to configure these flights for a large international flight. Uh, the idea of having to go back and do it again was very troublesome. It turned out it didn't be, seem to be the case, but I had no instructions on what to do. So... Little, little frustrations all the way around there. And like I said, it's fairly recent. just happened actually today. So fresh on my brain. <laughs> yeah. And and those are the kind of things that you'll probably tell that story over and over and over again. And it's, uh, you know, I know you're not mentioning organizations' names right now, but it's probably going to be one of those things that's bad word of mouth for the company. So Yeah, a little bit so. And, and just it's just one of those things where I, I understand two companies can't always build their customer service approach together. But in those situations, you want to give as much feedback as possible to that customer to let them know what's going on and avoid as many questions, especially when you're dealing with multi-thousand dollar international travel, which is a very uh, sensitive uh, thing for many people to have to deal with anyway. All right, Ed, what do you got for us? Well, uh, in, in terms of my story, there's some, some good and bad in it. And uh, I had moved into a new office uh, about a month ago. Oh, congratulations. And the people here have been absolutely wonderful in the new office. They've been great to work with. Uh, uh, and there have been some fits and starts along the way. They were supposed to put in some new carpet, and they did that in time, but they had gotten the wrong side uh, trim around the side of the um, uh, side of the floorboards. So I moved in, and then they had to come in after hours and fix that, and they fixed it great, and it didn't even look like they touched anything in the room. And then uh, I'd also, after the move-in, um, needed to get uh, some file drawers assembled because they weren't ready when I came in. That was fine. They apologized for it. One day they came in when I wasn't here, and they fixed them, and they put everything back where they wanted, and they were great, and they had a wonderful attitude. But up until yesterday, my 29th day in the office, uh, I did not have a working phone. And it's one of those things where you're thinking, okay, I'm in a consulting firm. We have a business. uh, And and for 29 days, we didn't have uh, a phone that works. So we ended up having our actual company telephone number routed to a cell phone for the last uh, 28 days before yesterday. And it seemed like uh, they, they would identify what the issue was. And then they would resolve it. You know, they, they somehow had our phone number programmed in with another tenant. Uh, it took them about two weeks to fix that, and they resolved it. And then uh, they were supposed to get it uh, sent th- through the reception desk, our phone number. But uh, every time we would call that phone number instead of them answering, hello, thank you for calling Customer Service Solutions, it was, uh, hello, thank you for calling Aflac. And then we would <laughs> oh, wow. get deal with that, and that took about a week. And then we finally got that resolved. And then there was another feature that we wanted, and then we finally got that working. And it was one of those uh, situations where – you're dealing with wonderful people. Um, you're, you're dealing with processes that are, are not the best. But when they resolve them, they try to resolve them when you're not there on a timely basis. They try to make everything look perfect after you've left. So they know that even though there's an issue, they're trying to rectify it in the right way. 
And, and when there's the phone issue, uh, they're, they're constantly trying to work on it, constantly trying to fix it. They have a wonderful attitude, but it's obviously some major system and process-oriented things. So it's just one of those situations that has had its fits and starts, and everything's fine as of uh, the 29th of February. Everything was fine as of that day. Uh, but it's one of those examples of you, you can you can have uh, issues that occur, but if you resolve them uh, with the right attitude, the customer will cut you a little slack. And if, if you have certain issues and it's a process or system issue, but the, you've explained what the issue is to the customer, maybe you'll get a, a little bit of empathy and the customer will cut you a little bit of slack. And, and if you do end up fixing the issue and you're very apologetic and empathetic, you know, the customer might still not be the happiest, but if you do it in the right way, maybe the customer is going to cut you a little bit of slag. So, you know, there's obviously a lot of issues that they, they need to deal with system-wise and process-wise and scheduling-wise. Um, but if you think about how they deal in service recovery situations on that aspect of things, that they continue to do things the right way. Well, and I think that's important for a lot of people to understand, too, in any kind of service-related business. Clients aren't customers aren't expecting people to be perfect. I mean, we understand mm-hmm. there will be hiccups from time to time. There will be problems. There will be something where a computer uh, misprocesses something and we have to fix it. But you're right in saying that it's the attitude and the responsiveness of the people involved that can make up for those hiccups. Um, you know, the problem becomes is that when you do have a hiccup and you don't have that rectification process, that that customer service attitude with your staff. That's when clients really, really get bent out of shape about a problem. Not to say that, you know, we can excuse all problems. I mean, like you said, your your phone system being down for that long, you know, all the best customer service and, and uh, personality in the world can't always make up for the for the issues that causes. But it can excuse and get, like you said, cut the, cut the company a little slack uh, when you've got the right personality and the right personnel dealing with it. Yeah. And it just goes to show there have been studies that talked about what is the likelihood of repurchase of keeping somebody's business based on how you respond to their issues. And it just goes to show that, you know, if you are quick in your response and if you fix it, you have a much better chance of keeping that person than, it, than if you are not quick enough. You're not empathetic enough. You, you do not fix it uh, in the end. So that, that's probably a whole other show. When we just purely talk about service recovery. But it has a huge impact on, on client satisfaction and retention. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So mystery shopping. We covered that pretty well and gave a good overview of what's going on in the world of mystery shopping these days. And we gave our customer service examples for this month's episode. Uh, didn't sound like either of ours were too terribly positive, but at least <laughs> but at least both of them came out with uh, where we got them resolved. You're back in business with your phone system. I'm booked to go to Thailand. Everybody's good right now. We just hope we don't have to go through any more of those uh, uh, process mishaps in the future again. So, right. Well, Ed, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. Hate not seeing you here in person, but I think this whole online over the Skype thing worked out pretty well this time. Uh, again, your website is cssamerica.com for anybody right. who wants to learn a little bit more about customer service solutions and what Ed Gagnon does for a lot of clients around the nation. And I'm with the Jackson Group, which is thejacksongroup.com, where we conduct employee customer satisfaction surveys, leadership development, and even get into some multimedia production, such as the mesh that you're listening to right now. Which, speaking of, uh, hopefully you've had a chance to go and listen to some other mesh shows on our network. You can visit the mesh at themesh.tv. If you have a suggestion, idea, 
comment or question about this show, we encourage you to contact us one of two ways. You can either go to the website uh, and fill out the contact us form, which is also linked to an email address, which you can send to that's info at themesh.tv. Either way, the comment will get to us. Or if you really want to talk to us or at least leave us a voice message, I guess you can call the mesh line. That is a eight, six, six. I'm sorry. The number for the mesh line is eight, two, eight, six, one, nine, zero, zero, four, eight. And that is a phone number you can call, leave a voicemail, and it's either uh, something where we can play the voicemail during a future episode or just listen to it and give you a call back or respond with any questions you may have about any of the shows on the Mesh Network. So, again, that's themesh.tv for the website and plenty of ways to get a hold of us. We are still running our contest until the end of March for any show that we post between now and March 31st, going all the way back to January 1st, actually. Any episode we posted has a code embedded in it somewhere in the show. You can go to our website, enter that code along with your email address, and that will enter you into our contest to win a free iPad that we're going to be giving away in April. So looking forward to that. I uh, hope really looking forward to be able to give a lucky winner one of those great devices, and uh, we'll be doing that in April. So, Ed, thanks so much for your time today. We appreciate it, and uh, we we'll look forward to talking to you next time. Sounds great. All right. Take care, everyone. You've been listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.